Hey everybody, I'm Nicole Delapuse, AKA Nicole Fancy Last Name. I'm a boy mom times two, a wife, and an attorney, but not necessarily in that order. And this is Hella Smart Mothers. So what's a Hella Smart Mother, you ask? A Hella Smart Mother is a mom who wants to be the best version of herself, for herself and her family, but most importantly, for herself. This show was created to be the virtual mom squad for hella smart mothers all over the world to talk about the down and dirty of being a millennial mom in this new frontier of modern day motherhood. So let's get it in. Hella Smart Mothers starts now. Hey, mothers and lovers. This is part two of the Hello Smart Mothers special episode with LaShonda Wally, who chats candidly with me about Sincere's strong sense of empathy, destigmatizing mental health and mental illness, and why we believe children lose their sense of empathy, and how she's helping assure Sincere's death was not in vain and that his legacy lives on. Please check out part two of Surviving Suicide with LaShonda Wally after the break. Sincere was in the, 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 why did I say physical therapy? Jesus, the, (laughs) the therapy. And then he, uh, when, what, what age, what age range was this? How old was Sincere when, when that was happening? Um, He just turned 15 when it started. And then, so we did outpatient and then, you know, we had, we had stepped down to, he was going once every two weeks, um, because they thought he was doing better. And in your, in your, you know, when you'd see him and interact with him, did you think he was doing better too? At times, yes. And at times, no, it was, it was like for every one step we took forward when, there was a stumble. It was like 10 or 15 steps backwards. The irony is the morning that the um, suicide happened, my husband and I were talking that morning and saying, like, we thought, you know, we had, like, made a turn for the better. Mm-hmm. And because he just seemed, you know, happier. And he had started his program at college, which was, like, really strenuous. But he was also like in a new environment, but with other people, mostly minorities. And just, I thought, Oh, great. It's structured. Gives them something to do, something to occupy them. Cause they literally had them on schedule from six o'clock in the morning to 10 o'clock at night. Oh, wow. <laughs> they couldn't use their phone and they couldn't use the computer and things like that. They had like a 30 minute window to be on the phone. Oh, um, wow. So yeah. just to back up a little bit, Sincere's grades and, and his, you know, academic performance, that was never an issue? No, no, he was a straight A student. The last semester of, of high school, he started like not wanting to go to school and not going to class. And he had never missed his, his entire high school career from middle school on. He had never missed a day of school until he was out of school because he was impatient. Oh, wow. He had never missed a day. And then once he did miss that day, he was very upset about that. Like, he was more upset about missing school than being impatient, and he was pissed that he was impatient. 
Oh, and uh, but remind me to get back to that impatient thing too. But yeah, so you know, the the last year was just kind of like let's go ahead and finish this and, and get it over with and move on. But the thing that you also have to consider is as crazy as a situation might be, people get used to that situation. And so, you know, one of the things that you have to look out for when you know someone is suffering from mental illness or they're prone to suicidal thoughts is when there's changes in their schedule or Mm -hmm. their routine, because while change is great, it's also scary. He was, you know, about to embark on something new and different and leave behind many of the friends he had made in high school and going to a different school than a lot of his um, peers had selected to attend. He was doing a different program than they were doing. So while it was great, it's like, oh, something new. It was also a scary time for him. You know, uh, a lot of kids, their senior years, you know, like second year, semester, senior year, it's just like, look, I've already got the grades. Wherever has accepted me has accepted me. Like, why do I need to work? now <laughs> absolutely so, absolutely I was accepted by my by like the december of my senior year and i was like Psh, y'all ain't gonna take it back i just gotta pass exactly like that's all i have to do is, is pass and so you know we were going through that as well but in general no the grades did not suffer what we did learn while he was in inpatient when he met with um, the psychiatrist there, he told the psychiatrist that he had been suffering like micro blackouts. Like the, he was having so much anxiety at school that, you know, when it was time to test and stuff, he would black out. It wouldn't last long, but he would black out. And then he'd snap out of it and perform. Wow. And he never told <laughs> anybody about that until he, until he mentioned it to the therapist? Yeah. And then it was like, why? You know, we, I think we have to also be mindful of the sort of pressure we put on our kids. Oh, yeah. I never said, look, you must have straight A's, you must do X, Y, and Z. But there certainly was an expectation that I did well in school. You know, I went to college, law school, whatever, and my husband the same. Like, we expect a certain level of performance from our children doesn't have to be straight A's, but we, we do expect you to go to school and perform well. And, you know, I come from a generation that was like, that's your only job. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, also, like, yeah. even if it wasn't y'all, like, the schools and the peers and, like, everybody kind of puts that, and, and not necessarily puts the pressure on, but you see, I remember when I was in law school, I would I would study away from campus because it felt like, a beehive like just so much constant like motion and nervous energy that it made me like anxious and nervous oh it's so funny that you say that because one of his therapists he had two therapists and a psychiatrist that he saw had said one of the things that they noticed about sincere was how he took on other people's problems and emotions like, you know, they, they described him as an empath and just like, so if his friends were going through turmoil, which a few of them were like, he kind of took that on as his own problem. And, you know, if his friends were sad, he felt that in a way, not just like, 
oh, my friend is sad. That's mm, right. I feel sorry for them. But like genuinely felt feel it. it. Like he, you know, yeah. and I've read that I've read that about empaths is that they are they do have a higher rate of anxiety, depression and, and suicide right. because of that. They literally take on the right. world's and problems. Just, you know, one of the things that they said in listening to his friends speak about him after he passed and at the funeral and stuff and just how the, they're talking about they would go to him. And I remember one of his friends um, said that sincere was his moral compass. And I thought when I was 17, that was a lot of things, but nobody's moral <laughs> compass. <laughs> <laughs> and, and it, you know, again, one of those things where it's like, I'm sad, but I'm also proud that. Yeah. My, you raised that person. That, yeah. That he could be that for people. And one of his closest friends from, I think he and Steven met in like third or fourth grade or something. And Steven, and despite knowing Steven for years, I never knew how they met. I just, you know. Right. He's your cool. friend. I never asked just there. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And, he's, and, and he said at the funeral, you know, when he spoke, because the kids spoke at the funeral, he said, I met Sincere. I was new at the school. And I was walking down the hall and up comes Sincere, like this jolly kid saying, hey, you new here. You look like you need some help. And Aww. they became friends every since. And I, was, and, I turn, and I remember turning to my husband and saying, damn it, I did teach him right. <laughs> <laughs> you did teach him right. You know you taught him right. I hope you truly. Yeah. I, I do. And that's the other sad part, though, is to just like he was we all like to think our kids are great. They're not always great. I got another one that didn't always great. <laughs> but, um, to hear what he meant to his friends and the way he was the person that made sure that nobody ate by themselves in class. I mean, you know, at lunch or oh, he would give his lunch to other kids and things like that. Like, to know that he was that sort of person, it, it's, it gives me pause and it makes me sad because I'm like, he would have been so amazing. It, like the possibilities would have been endless for you. We are all here for a reason, you know, and what helps get through this is that one, my faith in God and what I believe is Although sincere came through me, sincere was not mine. He was God's child, and God had his own reason and purpose for taking sincere home when he did. And I believe part of that is the way his death has been able to touch other people. I know his friends are forever changed. Our family is forever changed. The day that we're all sitting down in the hospital waiting for him to pass, we learned Two of my cousins, their children, 14 and 9, had both attempted to take their lives. Since their sister, who's 24, uh, <clears throat> had told her father that she had been having thoughts of suicide. She was suffering from postpartum. And that not only was she having thoughts of suicide, she was thinking she would take her kids with her mm. when she did. And I remember, and it should not take this it should not take us 
literally standing around waiting for someone to die to have a conversation in our family about this. Because just in this room, there's three or four people who are personally dealing with suicide issues and mental health. And yet none of us knew. That is not okay. That is because not okay. if someone was dealing with cancer, if someone was dealing with, you know, any other illness, diabetes, we, we all know about the people who got sugar. We all know, about, <laughs> you know, the person that's cancer, you know, and we know about these things and we talk about them and it's okay to talk about them. And then you get this thing that literally will kill you and we don't talk about it. What do we do? How, How do we that? change that? How do we change that stigma? Like, I, I do believe it's conversations like this. Absolutely. When one of our friends in our law mall group posted about the stigma of mental illness, I, and I distinctly remember this day, you spoke out, and this was this was before Sincere. Um, I think it was before he even went into treatment or maybe it was around that same time or slightly thereafter. Cause I think you did talk about him going into the inpatient treatment and the, and the, and the extensive treatment and all of that. And I remember thinking, wow, you know, I'm so happy that you shared that because so many people gloss over it and they might mention, oh, my so-and-so has depression or oh, my so-and-so had anxiety. And it's often in the past tense had. Mm-hmm. And what you know and what I know is that there is no past tense with depression and anxiety and, and, and things of that nature. It's an ongoing battle for your whole life. Mm-hmm. And so when you shared that story, I was so happy that someone, ah, making me cry. (laughs) That someone talked about it. Mm -hmm. That is how we change the narrative. That is how we bring our numbers down because they're definitely on the rise and they're especially on the rise in minority communities, particularly black, Mm -hmm. is to talk about it, is to make mental health health not mental health not physical health just health and i think it starts early it 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 starts with us talking amongst each other it starts with us talking to our kids very early a couple of weeks ago i was at our local health department for this campaign that i'm going to participate in that's focusing on youth and suicide prevention and i said to them i said you know Have you ever stopped and thought about children on the playground? When you think of children on the playground and you think like three, five, you know, around that age, like the age of your kids, there is another kid that falls or is injured or is crying in the corner. Without a doubt, you can bet your life that at least one and probably more, one other kid is going to go over to that child that is hurting Mm -hmm. and say, what's wrong? And probably alert someone you know, that Jimmy over here is in the corner crying. Right. But by the time we get to middle school, we see Jimmy in the corner and our kids are not running over to Jimmy. Instead, they're running over to each other and they're talking about Jimmy mm-hmm. and they don't care that he's crying in the corner or that he's been hurt. So what is going on between, you know, toddler age 
to by the time we're getting into adolescence, something is happening in our society in which we are taking out what is our natural instinct to be compassionate and to care about the next person. Because if we did that, we would see those changes. We would know that our friend who used to hang out every day, we only see once a week now. And right. we'd call up and ask. You may not be able to put your finger on it and call it out. But if we can just stop for a minute and care and just go the extra mile of just saying, how are you doing today? And genuinely ready to listen. Because we all walk by people and be like, hey, how are you? How fine. many of us are willing? Right. Though, that's all, you're, that that's person, all you're waiting for is the fine. <laughs> yeah. But how many of us are willing to do something when the person says, I'm not good today? You're going to be like, oh, what? what, what? <laughs> I wasn't well, expecting that. Oh, I wasn't like, expecting like, that. Yeah. <laughs> just, oh, well, we just say that. We don't actually mean for you to tell me that your day is sucking. But I think that goes back to the initial statement that you said in terms of Jimmy crying over in the corner and my four-year-old would unequivocally, mommy, Jimmy's crying in the corner. What's wrong with him? You know, where does that, where does that shift in the compassion and the care? Like, where does that happen and why does that happen? And what can we as parents, especially, you know, parents like me with young kids, like how to, how do we keep that? that empathy and that compassion and, and that just give a damn about other people. Like what do we need to do to continue that? I think we have to encourage it and nurture it in the same way. If we knew our child was gifted at piano and you saw that at five, they could pick it up and play. You'd be like, Oh, we got something there. And we need to nurture that. We need to feed into that. I definitely feel like being kind is not something that parents really push. And then we're pleasantly surprised if, you know. Even like being emotionally intelligent with yourself. Because, you know, I think that's a, a big thing. Like, I know so many people who are so unaware of how they project and how they you know, internalize things and, and project that onto other people and into other situations. And that lack of emotional intelligence is just so blatant. And if we used the that four-year-old mindset, that five-year-old mindset of Jimmy's crying, why is Jimmy crying? He's sad because such and such happened. Or I'm Jimmy, I'm sad because such and such happened. And people actually listening to it and not just being like, oh, stop crying. That's nothing to cry about. You know, that's where I think it happens, mm -hmm. to be honest, where where that that empathy and that and that lack of of caring happens is because the grown-ups <laughs> come yes. in and tell you right there. That, that is it. That what you just said, that's it. That's how it leaves. When we say that's nothing to cry about, no big deal. We teach them to minimize their feelings and thereby, obviously, if, if I'm telling you to minimize yours, why on earth would you care about the next person's? Yet. Oh, my God. So my son, my four-year-old, he was three at the time, was playing t-ball. And, you know, the game's ending and one of the kids goes to lead the line 
and then a kid like cuts in front of him and he has full-blown meltdown I mean like I don't even know I was I was taken aback by it a little bit (laughs) but you know my thought was you know he wanted to be first in line that pissed him off he's you know he's reacting to it no big deal his mom had walked away to go like get the hot dogs for the team or something like that and so the coach and the coach's wife like come over to the stands and is like you need to come get your grandchild he's over there freaking out and I don't know what to do with him and so I was I was taken aback by his reaction and then the his wife goes over and I expect and this is a poor expectation, but I expected, you know, a mom, she's going to go over and try to console him a little bit, or at least find out why he's, you know, flipping his shits. Mm-hmm. And she says, Johnny, stop all that crying. There's no crying in baseball. You're being ridiculous right now. And mind you, these are like four to maybe six year olds, but I think five, I think they were four and five. And I, I'm si- I, I'm mouth agape at this point because all I'm thinking is, let me tell you something. If you talk to my child like that, you're going to have real big problems. <laughs> it's like, you probably cry over ridiculous shit that nobody understands why you're crying. <laughs> and you would be appalled if somebody said that, you know, to you as an adult. And this is a four or five year old who is just learning how to regulate their emotions and kind of figuring it all out. And you think you're first in line and then some dipshit cuts in front of you. (laughs) I've seen adults go off. So yes. It's like, and that's where toxic masculinity comes from. And that's where the lack of empathy comes from. And that's where people start to minimize and stuff their feelings and don't speak up. Because there's no crying like baseball. What you're saying, yeah, yeah. It, it, isn't that amazing when you stop and think about it, though? Like at first, I say, pay attention to Johnny in the corner. We're like, what? What changes? And we figure it out just like that. <laughs> yeah, it's the grown-ups, and I'm like, we as adults, you know, for these little bits, like they, they're watching and they're listening. They, yeah. And, and they, they learn from our lead. We're dealing with mental health and then you add in the fact that you're a man and then you add in the fact that you're black and, you know, we think men don't cry. They don't go through things. They definitely aren't supposed to go through things that are personal in the public. Yeah. 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 And, you know, and, and we're going to pray it out of you. Um, (laughs) Don't even get me started on it. I'm like, I believe in Jesus and therapy. 100. Right. Absolutely. I believe he gave somebody the gift to help me. Yes. Absolutely have both. And you should have both. And I think, you know, that would be the other thing that when and where you can just get like, you know, we go in every year. We're supposed to go in every year and get a physical. Mm -hmm. We're supposed to go in at least twice a year and, you know, get a dental cleaning and get your eyes checked once a year and all these things. There's no push that we do a mental health checkup. And, and it goes back to, you, you know, we, we've heard it, which comes from a proverb of, you know, you have to be mindful of what you are letting into mm-hmm. your circle. What energy are you bringing in? 
And if our kids are inundated with negativity, um, you know, and thoughts of they're not good enough or they need to try harder or, you know, just negative stuff like drinking or drugging or any of those things. If that's all they're being inundated with and there's no break from it, they are walking trauma cases. We're not telling them what do you do with your emotions? Because I believe everyone, mental health is something that everyone has because we all got a brain. We all have emotions. (laughs) Everyone deals with anxiety. Yours may not look like mine, but everyone gets anxious. Everyone suffers from some level of depression because depression is simply a level of sadness. Yours will not look like mine. Mine's will not look like yours. And so if we start thinking that everyone kind of has some emotions that are similar to other people, we should then get to the next point of how do we manage those emotions? Right. What do we do with them? They need to go somewhere. What is the outlet for dealing with that and how? Um, like even for myself, I say, you know, there's so many groups that are grief support groups and things like that. And I have found that for me, I don't care for most of them, (laughs) not because I don't think they're useful, but what I have said for myself, again, is all in how we, you know, everyone deals with things differently and you need to know yourself. Right. Um, or at least get some help in understanding and knowing yourself. What I know for me is I cannot look at and listen to people who are in the phase of this life has ended and now mine's is no good. Why am I still here? And just filled with regret and sadness and anger and all of that, all of which are very legitimate emotions, all of which are emotions that I've had and will have again. But I have just also said, For me, I cannot sit in that place. I am doing no good for myself and I cannot help anybody else if I sit in that place. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. This is LaShonda in grief and your grief and your journey will not look like someone else's. And you can't let someone else stop you and question you and say it should look like X, Y and Z. How I mean, I think that goes back to your initial premise also about mental health being health like if you look at if you if you look at mental health the same way that we look at like health wellness fitness all of that Mm -hmm. everyone's like health journey is different you know I hate yoga I think it's the dumbest thing in the history of the world it's so boring And, and not not like the yoga that the people in eastern uh southeast asia do excuse me americanized version southwest asia sorry but yeah americanized yoga i don't like it i think it's so boring i'd rather punch a punching bag for an hour than do that but other people swear by it and like that is how they center themselves and how they get into their fitness journey and like whatever like it's all relative and you are you're a hundred percent right. You know your journey through grief. It's gonna have its ebbs and flows. And right now, like like you said, sitting in grief counseling, listening to everybody be sad is your yoga. 
yeah. <laughs> <It's> my yoga. <laughs> <laughs> and, and, but there are other people who go and that will feed them and yes. you know where they are and I said so if that is what works for you that's great but I'm out of here <laughs> so just to kind of recap what is some advice that you would give you know us parents in terms of if you think your child is suffering from a mental health illness uh first thing talk to them talk to them and, and, and don't come to them and say, are you suffering from depression? Are you suffering from bipolar or something? Because one, they may not even recognize it in themselves. And so therefore they can't name it. And for those that may recognize it, there is a level of shame because nobody wants to be different. Nobody wants to be the child that needs special attention. And so we have to be delicate in how we approach the initial conversation if you have those concerns, but, and if you don't know how to have that conversation, there are tons of resources out there. I mean, whether it's your pediatrician, your local health department, you know, the organizations like NAMI, um, National Alliance for Mental Health Illness, um, American Foundation for Suicide Prevention, like there's a, a lot of resources that are out there. Many local jurisdictions have some sort of grassroots crisis center. I mean, even though they have like suicide prevention and crisis center and all these things that make you think like, oh, you actually have to be going through something to reach out. There are still resources that can put you in touch with other uh, professionals that can help you. So first and foremost, talk to your kids and more importantly, listen, listen for what they say to you. It may not spit out like mother, I have depression and I'm thinking of hurting myself or I have been hurting myself. It may be show up and manifest as I no longer have interest in things. You know, I'm, I'm changing the way I look, the way I eat, the people I hang out with like this. Don't contribute everything that happens to just part of growing up. Some of it will be, but some of it won't be. And there's no way to know for sure unless you ask. The other thing I think is important is to be mindful of the moods of our kids. Look at the sort of people that they're hanging out with. Know your friend, your kids' friends and the things that their friends are into. And I know this new age parenting, I say that like I'm a hundred, this <laughs> new age parenting is, oh, we should allow some privacy. If you think there is something going on with your child, invade all the privacy there is. Absolutely. Better to invade and to find out. And so that you can act versus not finding out. And now you're forced to react. You want to be on the front end. So it's, it's a lot easier to have that conversation on the front end and and most importantly for the parents themselves be kind to yourself we have so much as we said before judgment and shame and we have to be mindful that we don't focus on ourselves and how you know this will make us look or what did we do wrong you can have those conversations and you will have those conversations with yourself But that needs to be separate and apart from how you deal with talking to your child and how you go about getting your child help if they need it. 
and you know be willing to show some vulnerability to your kid if you've had those experiences and stuff maybe that's the time to tell them if you know about uncle joe that nobody talks about that we just say well you know he's touched maybe <laughs> it's time to talk about what he's touched with <laughs> <laughs> that touched cracks me up every time <laughs> um, you know those sort of simple things and know that it could be anyone there is mental health issues do not segregate nope. they are indiscriminate in who and and how someone is affected it does not matter if you are affluent or poor or smart or less than smart it can affect anyone at any time and that's okay it is absolutely okay it's nothing to be ashamed of once you know now you take action but you got to be willing to know got to be willing to ask and i would just say finally look beyond the smiles make sure that the smile and the laughter that you're hearing that is genuine and if you stop and pay attention We've all, you know, as adults, we've been in the room and we see the person at work who is kiki keying, and you know they're fake. They're not <laughs> genuinely, you know, that tickled by whatever's been said by the boss. Right. You can spot that because you're looking for it. Have that same sort of keen eye when you're looking at your kids and they're laughing. Is it real? Or are we doing this just so that you don't question what else is happening with me? Pay attention. Yeah, I, I think that's the biggest thing. Pay attention and then talk and talk some more. Those would be my tips to parents. That is fantastic. That's super good advice. So, LaShonda, what are you doing? Tell, tell us just what are you doing now to honor Sincere's memory? Um, so, I've become heavily involved with the American Foundation for Suicide Prevention and did like their trainings um, so that I can do what we call like present. So for instance, at the end of June, there is a pride event. This is like pride month all over the country. And so there's a lot of pride events for, was it LGBTQ? I think I got all the letters. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So we're going to be, I'm going to be manning a table there where it's just kind of talking about the resources that are available to people and things like that. The other thing that I'm doing is every, um, excuse me, state AFSCP also does a out of darkness walk, like a community walk. A lot of colleges mm -hmm. and stuff have them. So I'm doing that again this year. I did it last year. Um, but not only am I doing it and, and raising money for that, I'm also volunteered to be on the walk committee and help planning the walk. And then I'm doing for our local health department, they have started a campaign for youth uh, suicide prevention because we've had a lot of youth in this um, county which have died by suicide. And so there goes the stigma of, you know, that only happens to, you know, less than affluent folks or whatever is a wealthy right. county and yet our kids are still dying um right, and so right. we have the ability you know to pay for the resources and yet our kids are still, still dying happening. so something yeah. is happening absolutely so they're doing a psa campaign um you know to reach out to parents and for me my focus will be on reaching out and dealing with minority parents 
Mm-hmm. I think our the way we approach mental health is very different, although it shouldn't be, but it is different from mainstream because we do have all these taboos. You add in religion and all of this other right. stuff, and it just becomes a roadblock to actually getting people the help that they need. So, yep. so what are you going to be that, doing for that PSA? It's going to be a video. Um, and um, so we're going to do a video. And then also I've asked some of Sincere's friends from high school to also participate in the video oh, and just say, you know, what it is that what would speak to them. That's so good. And what would they want to hear? Because I said, this is a video that's aimed at the youth. While I am youthful, I am not a youth. <laughs> <laughs> and so, you know, my perspective and when someone listens to me, no 17 year old is really going to be paying attention. This is more for the parents from my perspective. But for the kids, if you want to reach kids, you've got to have kids talk to them. Right. Absolutely. Well, definitely let me know. I, I hope you share that when it comes out. Cause I would definitely love to share that we'll, to my uh, platforms as well. We'll do. So yeah, I'm keeping busy. Just um, trying to help when and where I can. I'm so, so freaking grateful that you decided to have this conversation with me. Like you have dropped some of the best nuggets that I've had to date. Your story, like I said in the beginning, is so impactful to so many people. You, I can't imagine how many people you're going to help with with telling this story and and giving us kind of the play by play on 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 how we got here. So I really appreciate that so much, Lashonda. And you know we're all rooting for you. So anything that you're doing in the community, you you send up the bat signal. And we will be there. Thank you. I appreciate it. You know, as I said, this is my journey, but other people can benefit from my journey. Absolutely. And I know Sincere would be so freaking proud of how you've turned this into something to help people just like he would. Yeah, absolutely. He definitely would. So his memory lives on and extends far beyond what he could have ever imagined. Thank you all so much for listening to this special episode of Hello Smart Movas on the anniversary of Sincere's death. You know, conversations like these are what help in the stigma of mental health. So please continue these conversations with your friends and family. Or if you'd like to reach out to ask the Movas any questions, please send us a DM on Instagram at hellosmartmovas or email us at hellosmartmothers at gmail.com. Lastly, if you or someone you know is suffering from mental illness or having suicidal thoughts, please contact the National Alliance of Mental Illness, also known as NAMI, at 800-950-6264, or the National Suicide Prevention Lifeline at 1-800-273-TALK, or one 800 273-8255. Hello Smart Movers is back on summer hiatus, but we will return for season two on August 15th. So please subscribe or follow wherever you listen to podcasts so you never miss an episode. We'll see you soon.